when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Would you pray with me once more as we come to God's word? Let's pray together. Father, we come this morning. Uh, We need to hear from you. We need to meet you. Lord, you have said about your word that you send it out and it will not return to you void, but it accomplishes your purpose. It is through your word that you renew us and change us and transform us. And so we're asking now that you would come and that you would use your word upon our hearts through the power of your spirit, that you would awaken us, awaken our hearts, awaken our, our spiritual sleepiness. Lord, remove all of the distractions that we have, the fears that we have about the coming week. Lord, help us just to see you. Would Jesus be lifted up and would we see his beauty and be drawn to him? Come and work in our lives through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning we're starting a new four-part series in the book of Acts, and it's a mission series. We like to take uh, August and also January, which they're kind of uh, good times to start new things, new ministry seasons. We like to take those two times of the year as an opportunity to be renewed and reminded as a church of what is our mission? What have we been called to do? What is our purpose? And so we're going to be looking at the first four chapters of Acts for the rest of this month. And we're calling this series Inside Out. And the idea there is that as a church, as we're gathered together, our mission is to uh, continually be deepening in the gospel, continually be deepening in our understanding of all that Jesus has done in us and for us and through us, our identity, uh, and letting that shape who we are, but then also allowing that to then be applied to our relationships in the church, that we would be a community that is marked by honesty and love and serving one another and acceptance and forgiveness, because those are the implications of the gospel. If you've experienced it from Jesus, We are to then apply it in our relationships. And so our mission is to go after those things. But as we do, to be moved by God's Spirit outside of ourselves, outside of our walls and of our gathering, and into Dade County, into our community, recognizing that we have been rescued and redeemed for a purpose, namely, God glorifying Himself in the world. God has a mission in the world. That's primarily what we see in the book of Acts. It's not our mission. It's his mission. And so he calls us to join him in that mission. And and the way that that mission goes is as we experience him in life together, we are then moved out from the inside out, out into the community, 
And that is the shape and the direction of his mission that we see. Now, as we come to the book of Acts, and by the way, kids, if you're following along, one of the things I really like is to get pictures that have to do with the sermon. It's a good way to kind of uh, be paying attention to the sermon and be processing it. And so today we're talking about how God's Spirit moves us as followers of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Okay, so you can take that wherever you want with a picture. I want to see some pictures. That's what we're talking about, our mission, how it moves us to the ends of the earth. As we come to the book of Acts, Acts is a crucial book in the New Testament and forms like a bridge between the four Gospels, which are all about the life, the death, the teachings of Jesus, and then all of the letters, the rest of the New Testament, all of these letters are also called epistles that are written to churches, specific churches in different, different areas and different places. They're letters that are written to these churches that have already been planted. They're, they're growing, they're thriving, they're struggling in many ways too. But Acts forms like a bridge between those two. So how do you get from the resurrection of Jesus to all of these churches? And that is the book of Acts, where it shows us and literally picks up right at the very last words of Jesus. That's where we begin in our chapter. It picks up right where the Gospel of Luke ends up. Luke actually writes the book of Acts. Luke and Acts are like two volumes of one whole gospel. And so that's where he picks up with Jesus right after he's been resurrected, before he ascends into heaven, and it's the last things he is going to say to his apostles as he's then going to send them out into the world. And the book of Acts is showing us how the church is born and then begins to spread throughout the world. And we see how it is God's Spirit that is moving His people out in that. So in our passage today in chapter 1, we're going to see the direction of God's mission. We're going to see our part in His mission. And then finally, we're going to see the power for His mission. So that's, the, that's where we're going if you like to take notes. Hopefully, we will follow that outline. So first of all, let's talk about the direction of God's mission. As we come to the passage, we see especially in verse 8. So Jesus is there with his apostles. He is about to be ascended. That is, go up to heaven and to take his throne in heaven at the right hand of the Father. He has already been resurrected. Uh, and this is the very last thing that he's telling uh, his disciples who will now receive the authority of apostles. And he says to them in verse 8, which is a key verse for the entire book of Acts. He says this, verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now that verse is so important, it, it forms the entire structure of the book of Acts. The whole book of Acts is showing the fulfillment of that promise in verse 8. Jesus says, you're going to receive power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And that's where it begins in chapter 2. The apostles are Jesus' eyewitnesses in Jerusalem. And then they're moved out beyond that into Judea and Samaria, which is the, uh, the regions that are beyond Jerusalem. And that happens in chapter 8 verse, uh, through uh, chapter 12. We see 
the apostles taking the gospel to Judea and Samaria. And then in chapter 13 through the end of the book, we see the gospel going to the uttermost ends of the earth. That is the entire structure and the story of the book of Acts. So Jesus here in verse 8 is saying, you're going to receive power and this is going to happen and the rest of the book is showing it happening to us. And the thing to notice is that the direction of God's mission is to move his people out across cultural barriers, across geographical barriers, to move them out into the world in every direction. The picture here is like if you've ever thrown a large rock into a calm pond. And what happens? There's this ripple effect that goes out in every direction from that center, a ripple that is moving out throughout the entire pond. That is the picture of Acts. And the ripple is the resurrection of Jesus. That's the stone that falls down into the pond of the world. And the ripple effect is the gospel crossing these barriers as it goes to all of the earth. And you see, that is the direction of God's mission, is to go out from the center, from the inside, out. Now, this marks a dramatic change in the movement of God's mission in the Bible. In the Old Testament, God was just as concerned about mission. If you think back all the way to Abraham, as God comes to Abraham in Genesis 12, do you remember the promise that he gives to Abraham? Way back at the beginning of the Bible. It is through your family, through your children, that I will bless all nations of the earth. You see, this, this global mission is not a new New Testament thing. It's God's always original plan, even in the Old Testament. The idea was that through the children of Abraham, through Israel, God's salvation would go to the ends of the earth. But the direction of that was drastically different. The vision in the Old Testament was that as, as Israel lived as God's chosen people, followed Him, worshipped Him, that they would be like a light to the nations that attracted the nations to them. The movement was for the nations to come to Israel. It's a tremendous vision at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 2 where he talks about this tremendous image of all the nations streaming to Israel to come and to bow down before the King of Israel, the Messiah. And that's a tremendous image, especially if you were an Israelite and you'd been pushed around by the nations. And God has given you this huge kind of vision that one day all these kings of the earth are going to become and they're going to bow down to your Messiah. That was the movement in the Old Testament, that the nations would stream into a place, into Jerusalem, into the place where the temple was. God's kingdom had a location. The, the temple was the very place that God's presence dwelled upon the earth. Jerusalem was where God dwelled in the midst of his people. So God's kingdom had a particular location it was locked into. And the idea was that all nations would come to that place and to that point. But what we see in the book of Acts is a dramatic shift that changes everything. And what initiates that shift? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the inbreaking of God's kingdom into the world. And everything changes. No longer is the movement of the nations into a particular place. 
into the presence of God's people. Rather, God's people are compelled out like a great explosion, like a dynamite blast, where they're launched out in the power of God's Spirit to take God's gospel to the ends of the earth. Do you see the movement? It's a reversal. No longer do we just wait on them to come to us, but rather we are moved out towards them, crossing every kind of cultural divide you can imagine, crossing socioeconomic divides, skin colors to every people and every nation and every continent. And we get that great picture in the book of Revelation, you know, of the, the great gathering of, of God's people together, and we're told that there were people there from every tongue, tribe, nation, and people before the throne of the Lamb, worshiping Him. So it's the vision that one day that great hope will come to fruition. So we see here that God longs to move His people out, to cross those barriers, that He wants to carry His people into all the places of brokenness in the world, to carry us towards people who are unlike ourselves. But that's very hard for us as a church, because here's our tendency, especially whenever the church begins to grow and get into a position of power and influence and affluence. This takes, it's taken place in the Bible Belt. Our movement changes from being like we are propelled out towards those who do not know him to now we begin to pull in. We begin to circle the wagons. We become a holy huddle. We begin to be more preoccupied with us, our preferences, our desires, and we begin to expect the world to come to us, you know, that we'll just open the doors and they can come to us. But the days in which in our culture you can open the church doors and people will come to you are over. The church doesn't yet know that, but it's coming. Those days are over. You can't just open the door and everybody's like, I'm looking for a church. It's not happening anymore. We have got to reclaim the direction of God's mission, which is not come and see, but go and tell. Where we are moved out onto the turf of those who do not know Jesus, onto the turf of those who are poor, who are broken, who are vulnerable, who are trapped in every kind of prison that you can imagine. The movement of His Spirit in the church is now to carry us out into those places rather than just to gather together as his people. So that's the direction of his people, of God's mission. So what is our part in this? One of the critical things to see, and you see this in Acts, is that it is God's spirit that is doing all the mission. But we have a vital role in this mission. What is our role? And Jesus, again, in verse 8, very clear. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. That's what we are. That's what we're called to be, witnesses to Jesus, to who he is and to what he's done. Now, what is a witness? As we think about a witness, we probably have a lot of connotations. In witness, we think about, you know, maybe you uh, have that kind of, Shiver in your spine as you think about, oh no, I've got to go knock on a door and share a track. We think that's what witnessing is. But if you just think about just what is a witness, you know, if you think about the setting of a court, 
What is the role of a witness? Well, a witness is someone who has seen something, who knows something, who knows a particular truth. They've experienced something, and they're called to come and to testify according to that truth. You know, they come to the stand, and they say, Here, here's what I've seen. Here's what I know. Here's what the truth is. That's what an eyewitness is. And so you see, as he calls us to be witnesses, that is the basic shape of what we're to do, to be a people who testify to the truth of who Jesus is, who declare that truth and who live by that truth. Now, it's not just what we say, but also what we embody in our life. And if you think about what, what is this thing that we're testifying to, it is the gospel. It is most simply that, that there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, who is reigning and ruling over all things. Now, you might say, well, how novel is that? You know, we're in the Bible Belt. Everybody believes that. No, 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 no. Everybody says they believe that, but very few do. Because if you say Jesus is Lord, do you know what you're also saying at the same time? And nothing and nobody else is. And so to be a witness to Jesus is to say there is one true Lord Jesus Christ, not political power, not a political party or a political leader. There is one true Lord, not comfort and security or self-reliance or individualism or stuff in our consumeristic culture. We're constantly running after stuff. If I have another toy, then my life will be complete. I'll have meaning. If I have success in life, if I have a certain kind of reputation, then I'll have an identity, I'll have a standing. What's taking place at the level of the heart? Idols, false gods that we begin to trust in and look in. And as you begin to look at our culture in that way, we begin to see there are as many gods as there are towns in our culture. And that is verbatim what Paul says when he goes to Mars Hill in the book of Acts. He walks in and he's stunned to see that there are as many idols as there are people. But to be a witness is to say there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. And he has come and he has given his very own life in order that people like me might be reconciled to the Father forever. And that is my only hope. That's what we bear witness to. But it's not just in words. To bear witness is not just to have a message that, let me get the message down, and then I'm going to go and I'm going to tell people and rehearse the message to people. No, it's got to be something that's real. It's got to be something that you're living by, that you actually believe. You can't be a witness if you don't really believe it yourself. And in the Bible Belt, a lot of professing Christians need a polygraph. We're professing something that doesn't affect our life. There's a disconnect there. To be a witness means that you, yes, you bear witness through words, but you embody it in your life. And if Jesus is Lord, and if I've been reconciled to the Father, and I really believe that, it's going to change everything about my life. How I use my money, how I spend my time, how I treat other people, absolutely everything is affected by whatever is your center. And if Jesus is your center, which is what we bear witness to, it will affect every area of your life. Now, I'm sure as many of us think about being a witness, we have that fear, we have that idea of like, 
how can I be a witness? You know, I'm not, I'm not good at talking. I'm not good at explaining things. I'm not a teacher. I'm not an evangelist. You know, I'm afraid of like being pushy towards people. You know, it's kind of the connotations we have. But he's not talking about everyone being an evangelist. He's talking about everyone being a witness, bearing witness to something you believe and to something that you've experienced. But here's something that's encouraging. A particular witness in the New Testament that I think gives us all a lot of hope about our prospect of being a witness to Jesus. And that is the woman at the well in John 4. Do you remember this story? John meets this, uh, Jesus meets this woman besides Jacob's well in John 4. And uh, she's a woman of really bad reputation. Very promiscuous woman, has been ostracized by her community. She's a Samaritan, which were seen as half-breeds by the, by the Jews. They were looked down on because they had mixed their religion with other religions. Uh, and she was a woman, which in their day, their testimony didn't hold up in court. And yet Jesus encounters her by this well. She had gone there hoping to meet nobody, and yet she meets Jesus. And Jesus offers her a spring of living water, and she drinks of it. You know what happens to her in that very next part of the story? It's tremendous. This woman who was so racked with shame that she was avoiding everybody, this woman that nobody would listen to, she goes back to her village and she shares, she bears witness. You know what she says? She doesn't give a great gospel presentation. She, she doesn't have all her ducks in a row. She doesn't even know hardly any theology. You know what she does? She goes back and she says, hey, come meet somebody that told me everything I ever did. Come meet somebody that read my mail, that knew all of my secrets, and yet accepted me. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? Come and see. And half the village comes out and meets Jesus and is converted. What did she do? Almost nothing. She went and shared her experience of who Jesus was. She wasn't that flashy of a witness, but yet God used her. But he was the key for the woman at the well, and it's the key for us too. It's got to be real. It's got to be real. She had encountered the living Christ. She had experienced his grace and his welcome and life in him. You see, that was enough to propel her out in joy that she would go right into the face of rejection and people scoffing at her and saying all kinds of things about her and just ignoring her. All of those fears I'm sure that she had, but there was a joy in her that was compelling her out. That's the most important thing in witness. Have you met him? Do you know him? Are you experiencing life in Jesus? Are you experiencing daily of his grace? Is it freeing you? Is it driving you out in joy? That is the most critical aspect. When it's real. One of my seminary professors used to say to us as young aspiring pastors, he used to always say, don't be quick to tell them you're a pastor, but don't let them be surprised when they find out. It's a good little jingle. He had a lot of jingles like that. So he's saying you don't have to go around just wearing it on your sleeve to everybody. Hey, I'm a pastor. But make sure they're not surprised when they find out. 
Because the reality is, people know what we really believe by looking at your life. Would people be surprised to find out you were a Christian? If they discovered that you were a Christian, would they say, no, no, that, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Or would they be surprised? Does our life embody our witness? Is it real for us? Like, are we experiencing Jesus? You can't go tell somebody about the beauty and the freedom of the gospel and the lordship of Jesus if you're not experiencing it. Because guess what? People see right through it. And that's what's happening so much in our culture. People are going and witnessing to people, and, and unbelievers see right through it because authenticity is bigger than it's ever been before. And people hear that and they're thinking to themselves, you don't believe that. Look at how insecure you are. Your life is no different than anybody else's. You're running after the same things that I am. The only difference is you walked an aisle or you go to a certain place on Sunday. That's the only difference. You don't really believe that. It's got to be real to be a witness. We got to experience the gospel. The grace of Jesus has got to be electrifying your heart in order for you to be moved out in witness. Otherwise, it's just a sham, and people see right through it. So this is scary. This is hard. This is challenging to think about being a witness for Jesus. But let me tell you something that is really, really encouraging as you think about being a witness. Looking at the disciples. You know, Jesus chose 12 knuckleheads to be his witnesses, and they were absolute knuckleheads. I mean, think about this for Jesus. You know, he gets these 10 guys together, he's pouring his life into them, and what are they doing? They're constantly not getting it. It's going right over their head. They're arguing about who's the greatest. They're fighting among themselves. One of them totally uh, betrays him and hands him over. I mean, by all intents and purposes, his earthly ministry was a failure. These guys were terrible. And in the most important moment in his life, what he had told them was going to happen and that he came for while he was hanging on a cross in his moment of greatest need, what did they do? They split. And the leader of the group flat out three times denied even knowing who he was. Look at him. But yet, Jesus chose them to be his witnesses to all the earth. And how did it go? Well, here we are, a couple continents away. We're not Jews. We're not dark-skinned from the Middle East. We're, many of us, blue-eyed, some of us blonde-headed Gentiles, the nations, bowing down before King Jesus. How did we get here? The witness of the knuckleheads. You see, Jesus knew this. He knew how weak these guys were, how much of a disaster they are, even even right here. As he's getting ready to go, they say, hey, Jesus, is this the time that you're going to reestablish Israel, the kingdom to Israel? You know, all of it's over their head. And he says, no, 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 no. It's not just about geographical Israel. It's about the whole earth. They still don't get it. But Jesus knew that. He knew all of that. And so what was his solution? What is the power 
for their witness, the Holy Spirit. Look at what he says, verse 4, second part of verse 4, do not leave Jerusalem. He knows, it's like he's saying, all right, guys, I'm about to go, do not leave because you're going to make a complete disaster of this until you get the Holy Spirit. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you will be my witnesses. What is the power for witness that takes me from being a scaredy cat who doesn't know my right hand from my left, who will run from Jesus and deny him at the drop of a hat? What takes me from that to someone who, in the case of the disciples, are standing before kings? before emperors and declaring the lordship of Jesus, which to stand before a king and say there is one king and one lord is the quickest way to the guillotine. How do they get there? The Holy Spirit. At the end of the book of Luke, Jesus says, wait, do not leave Jerusalem, do not go until you've been clothed with power from on high. What a tremendous way to put it. You see, none of this works apart from the power of God in us and working through us. It's not up to us. We can't do anything. You know, if you're thinking, I'm weak, I'm a scaredy cat, I don't know hardly anything, well, you're right. But the good news is, our hope is not in that. Our hope is not in our ability. We're not called to change anybody or convert anybody or transform any kind of culture. None of that do we do in and of ourselves. It is the work of God through His Spirit as it comes upon us and empowers us for for mission. That's it. The, The whole project of the church is a supernatural reality or else it doesn't make any sense at all. If we as a church are only thinking about what we can see and what we can accomplish in and of ourselves, we ought to just quit and go home right now. Because it'll be a failure. The church does not work. The whole concept doesn't work apart from a supernatural reality. That is the Holy Spirit indwelling us as his people and moving us out in mission. I think the biggest disconnect in the church is to look only at what is seen. To to think... That, that the only thing that is happening here is what we can see, just the, the physical realities. You know, we tend to, I mean, we will never see this, but so much of how we think and how we live is not biblical Christianity, but rather deism. We've talked about deism before. Deism is kind of this general belief in God of the man upstairs who kind of created everything, but steps back from his creation. He set everything in motion. And he steps back and he watches. And you know, if we're in real bad trouble, then he might show in and help a little bit. But primarily, he's distant to us. Now, we would never say, yeah, yeah, that's what I believe. But how do we live? We live like that is true. Because what happens whenever you face an impossible situation or circumstance in your life? What do we do? We're filled with worry and with anger and with wanting to take control and to fix it ourselves. And look at how little we pray. I mean, just look alone at our prayer lives and it shows how much 
We believe in deism rather than biblical Christianity. That is a God that is ever-present, that is dwelling as people, that is at work in every situation that we fall in, that, that, that He has power to be at work in the everyday realities of our life. That as we move out in love and in service, it's not just us doing something, but the power of God's Spirit moving in and through us. Apart from this, we'll give up. Apart from this, we'll be racked with guilt and pressure and fear. What would change about us as a church if we really believed that the power of the Holy Spirit was available to us? What would be different? How would we live? How would we live if we really believed as I walk into my, my workplace that I am filled with the Holy Spirit and He is at work all around me? Or with your neighbors, especially like the neighbor that drives you up the wall. I mean, what if that in, encounter with that neighbor was an, a spiritual encounter where you walked in with a confidence that God's Spirit is at work here, eager to do something supernatural? What would be different? What would be different as a church if we believed that about our community? That if the Holy Spirit came and filled us with great power, that God would change our community. If we really believe that, what would be different? A few things. I bet our service would be longer than an hour and a half. And you're like, come on, the heat here. I know. I know the heat. I wish it. I bet it'd be a little bit longer. And I bet it might not be all planned out. I bet what we might do is we might lock the back door, roll in the porta potties, and get on our face in prayer. That's what the apostles did. Right after Jesus was ascended, you know what they did? They locked the door and they got on their face. And what were they praying for? Send your Holy Spirit in power. We'll see next week what happened. If we believe that, that's what we do. Because God wants to transform our community and us. But it can only take place through the power of His Spirit. So we're longing as a church to be a church that really, really believes the gospel and that walks in daily repentance and faith where we are rediscovering each day the riches of His grace for us. Because when that happens, there's a joy that overflows in your life. That's what we're longing for as a church. And as that happens in a community, in us, it creates certain kind of relationships where we love one another and serve one another, where we're real and honest with each other, where we confess to each other and we forgive one another. That's what we're after. And when that happens, God pours out His Spirit upon you and He moves you out. We want to be moved out by His Spirit in Dade County in love and service to everybody in every place where there's brokenness. That's what we're called to be.